Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. John chapter 6 and 53. Words that are perhaps frightening. Words that have never been heard before. Certainly the Israelites that were about to hear these words knew the law. They understood Moses' law. Words that would frighten some actually caused them to back up. Words that were being spoken to people who just a short while ago, Jesus had done miracles and multiplying pieces of bread and fish and fed their bellies and ministered to them. Words that no one would have ever expected to hear from a rabbi or a leader. But Jesus spoke these words nonetheless with great power and anointing when he said this. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. Now I'm sure they liked that part. They understood what eternity was. They knew about the life after this one. And I'm sure he caught their attention with that phrase as he went on to say, for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He was emphatic about how he was describing this as he said, he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. You can be seated this morning. Just as at the Last Supper, which would soon come after these passages, where he said, this do in remembrance of me, Jesus was speaking in a metaphor. He was speaking spiritually, but they weren't quite understanding him. You see, Israel knew about the law. The law was very clear. If you look in Leviticus chapter 17 and 11, it says simply this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. So God did begin to explain the power of blood. What is, what is blood to God? There is something there. It's important. It's an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. But if you look at verse 14, it goes on to say, for it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is the life for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whoso eateth it shall be cut off. They knew the Levitical law. They understood that. But what they weren't getting is they weren't getting the metaphorical, the spiritual aspect of what Jesus was trying to convey. I'm here to tell you this morning that when it comes down to to everything, what is most important to God in his creation is the lifeblood that he gave them, us, streaming through our veins. He made it very, very clear. Life is, the blood is the life of all. I turned over the baptismal this morning. I'm going to walk over here if you're all right with that. Cameras will follow me. Just kidding, there are none. 36 years ago, last month, I got to walk down into one of these. Brother Frank Tamil baptized me. We have these little gowns. So any of you are ready to go. 
Somebody in the house this morning, we're ready to baptize you. We step down into this water. It's just water. It's really warm, too. I made sure it was turned on. It's just water. I stepped down into that baptismal with Pastor Frank Tamil. He was our first pastor. And he baptized me in the name of Jesus, calling on the name of Jesus over me. As we all know, we know that's the, that's the prescription. We're experts in that area, right? But what he was doing is he was applying the blood. That's how we were partaking of the blood, right? But I want to tell you something exciting today. Something that maybe we haven't hit on very much recently. Maybe we don't talk enough about it. And that is within the power of the blood, it's the daily, maybe even the hourly application of the blood that we can have today, now. See, I think sometimes we get caught into this idea that we partake of the blood that day at baptism. That was 36 years ago. It's been a long time since I was in one of those. But that wasn't the last time I had the opportunity to partake of the blood. I want to talk to you a little bit today about the power in the blood, something we can't forget, we can't let go, we got to get a hold of. So God created blood to be life, essentially. I don't know why he, he, he chose this method. I don't, we don't know all those mysteries. Perhaps we'll never know, never understand what it was about blood and, and animals and all these sacrifices and things. He's the creator. It was his choice. Could have been 100,000 different other things he could have chosen from. But he chose the blood. That's the source of life. I find it amusing that if you look back in, a, in medieval times when people were ill, you've probably heard these stories, when people were sick, they'd go to them and they, they felt like illness was born all in the blood, and so they would literally do what's called bloodletting. They would cut people to drain out some of their blood thinking that the sickness would leave them. What they didn't realize they were doing is they were robbing them of the life-giving power that blood had and, and, and sickness does travel through the blood. I mean, it's, it, it obviously is there. But so you can't, you can't remove the one to get rid of the illness because then you, you take away the life. And so they didn't understand that. Uh, they used to do tremendous amounts of, of uh, application of leeches. You know, they felt the leeches would take out the bad things. Well, believe it or not, there are some applications for leeches today. There are, there are applications where they actually use medicinally or medically uh, prepared leeches to do medical stuff, to help people with wounds and things like that. Uh, but they would do it so much so that they would drain the life out of people. And the thing is, is about blood, and we're, we get squeamish when we talk about blood. And by the way, if you are kind of squeamish and prone to fainting, I'm just going to warn you, I'm going to talk about blood today. <laughs> so I may use a little imagery. I don't want to horrify anybody, but I, I, it's very critically important. Trust me, I'll, I'll draw it from the word. But <clears throat> we're, we're, we're squeamish about blood. We understand, I think God just built something inside of us to understand the, the incredible importance of blood and, and where it belongs. Because if you see blood in places, it's, it's, it's revolting in some cases. It's scary. We know it doesn't belong outside the body of the animal. When you first, when you first go hunting as a young person, I know when I did, and you, you have the job of, well, let's just call it field dressing. How's that? Field dressing the animal. Okay, it's a really shocking experience because, you know, dad or uncle or whoever helped you out if you're involved in this, if you ever filleted a fish or you, if you've ever done anything like that and you start this process, it's just the blood. And you go, oh, wow, it's, oh, ah. It's shocking because we're not used to seeing that. The blood is so protected. It's so in our mind and in our way. The blood just has this, it's just this thing. It's in here somewhere. I don't want to talk about it. Some people faint at the sight of blood. They go, to get a, they, they go to donate blood and they pass out or, or they have to have some blood drawn at the hospital and they get sick and squeamish and all these things. 
You have to be a really special person to be a phlebotomist, I think. Just a little bit of vampire, I don't know. Just, I'm kidding, if there's any phlebotomist here, I'm just kidding. So we already know, God's built it within us to understand the power and, and the, the impact of blood. If, you, if you've ever heard, I mean, there's, there must be a thousand different terminologies and words that we use. I wrote some down here in my notes, blood sport, life blood, bad blood, blood brothers, blood money, fresh blood. I always hated that terminology when we hired a new person when I was in management. They'd say, oh, fresh blood. You know, it's just, but we, we just apply all of these terms and, and blood just has significant meaning for us. Uh, way back in the day, if, if any of you ever you know, BC, uh, ever watch some of these like 2020 and, and all these, these news shows, they do these stories on, on uh, murders and things like that. Sorry to be graphic, but, you know, and of course they'd, they'd go in and they show film of this stuff and they'd gray it out, you know, because it was so horrifying to see, you know, stuff spattered and, you know, and it's just horrifying people. And they do that for shock value. They do that to get you, uh, your attention because, oh, it's just unbelievable. And, and so we're just mesmerized by it. And it has just a tremendous power. Just interestingly, I wanted to note that in whatever God did as he's constructed blood, it was for a very specific purpose. Because did you know that blood is literally the only liquid tissue in your body? It's considered tissue. It's con- it contains quite a bit of protein. Um, it's, of course, about 55% plasma, uh, but it contains uh, protein and, and, and actually waste products, um, water and salts and things like that. But it has so many functions in the body, it, it takes air, oxygen from your lungs and converts it into your tissues so that you live. And, and regardless of the condition of your soul, your body cannot live without blood in it, period, end of story. You lose too much and, and you're a goner. And, and so it's a very serious situation in a car accident or something like that. It's very urgent that we have to stop the bleeding first. You know, it's, it's always, if you ever took first aid, if you've ever been involved in anything medical, you know that's the first the first protocol, stop the bleeding, whatever you do. Even if it's grabbing a belt and slapping a tourniquet on and, and just stop the bleeding. You gotta keep the blood in the body. It's very critically important. And so it has many other functions. It takes waste material and all kinds of stuff down to your kidneys and your liver and helps filter that stuff out of your body. Extremely, extremely powerful and important. It's, it's just tremendously, tremendously important to who and what we are. But let's look at it. I want to look at it now in the terms of the Old Testament. So we've established blood's a pretty big deal, right? Blood's important. I noticed, and I did some research and study, and I noticed that, that blood is mentioned over 400 times in 357 passages throughout the Old and the New Testament. The, the concept of blood is repeated again and again and again and again. There's a term in the, in the Word of God called the revenger of blood. And there's a version of it that says avenger of blood, repeated again and again and again. I'll preach on that someday. But we look at Solomon. When he became king, they sacrificed a thousand bullocks, a thousand rams, and a thousand sheep. And God magnified him in Israel's eyes. Blood was spilled over and over and over again. From the Garden of Eden... They sacrificed, they had to sacrifice a lamb. A lamb's blood was spilled so that Adam and Eve could have clothing. From the very beginning, we see God's move and God's method and God's will in terms of blood. When Hezekiah restored faith in Israel, he offered over 10,000 gallons of blood in sacrifice to God. And there weren't even enough priests 
to handle all of the sacrifices he was lining up for them. And the word describes a temple that was just so full of the power and the glory of God that even a man couldn't stand up and minister in that environment. And God, of course, blessed Hezekiah. And Israel found favor with him. At the dedication of Solomon's temple, they sacrificed over 120,000 sheep, 22,000 oxen. It equated to over 290,000 gallons of blood. But the glory of God, again, was so thick. It was so thick in the temple and powerful that men couldn't even stand in its presence. Blood is significant to God. We speak often and very powerfully, and we should, about the name of Jesus, about the power in his name. We should invoke it all the time. We should live it all the time. But I'm telling you, there's just something about the power of the blood. There's power in the blood. There's something that God has for us. It's why it was so significant that when he told us that we're buried with him in baptism, that we're taking on, we're putting on Christ, but it's that water and that blood together, it represents it. I just showed you just a moment ago, I lifted it up. We don't have a tank full of blood over there. First of all, that would be extremely difficult to maintain. It would stink, and it would be pretty graphically horrible. Nobody would ever partake of that. The Israelites had some strong stomachs. They understood. But do you know that at Sinai, now we know, that, we know what Israel, the law was, and all that stuff, but do you know that at Sinai, it was the place where blood was first applied to people? There is principle in the Old Testament, there's principle with the law that blood was applied to people. It says in Exodus chapter 24 and 8, and Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. He sealed a covenant and he applied blood to people even then in Exodus chapter 24. We look at John 19 and 34, it says this, it says, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And people are sometimes confused about that. What's the message there? It's a prelude, obviously, to the waters of baptism, that those waters represent blood. And I've had people ask me, well, how do you, how do you uh, come to those terms? How do you determine that? It's just water. How do you say that that's Jesus' blood? We'll get to that. But there's a specific message there. See, because don't forget that not only did Jesus get baptized. Remember, John the Baptist took him down into the water. And so many believe, and I believe that from Scripture and from study, that that represents the fact that Jesus did both water and he sacrificed his own blood. And so when the soldier took that spear and stuck it up into his side, water and blood poured out representing the obedience and the sacrifice that he made. Romans 3 and 25 says this, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And so we begin to start to see that message. And now we know, and I, you're all looking at me like, we know this, we know that blood is, I'm going to get a little further in here. We know that the establishment in the word of God is that the blood is the redemption, is the atonement. 
And so in Moses' time, when they had the tabernacle and they had the temple, they, took, they sacrificed all those animals every day, a lamb, morning, night. A lamb was sacrificed for the atonement of sins. But see, the issue there was this, is that they were the blood of animals. The blood of animals were taken into the temple, and they put, they put it on their thumb, and they had all these rituals, and they put it on the horns of the altar and different things. And of course, the priest took some of that blood underneath the, 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 uh, the curtain that separated them from the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. They poured it on the mercy seat. We've, prayed, we've talked about this before. We've, we've demonstrated it here before. Poured the blood on the mercy seat, and that was the atonement for sins. But see, that was not a remission. It's very, very clear and very critical that we understand it's not a remission. It was an atonement. It moved their sins forward because they were just talking about animals until Jesus came. Ephesians 1 and 7 says this, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. See, Hebrews chapter 9 and 22 says this, that without the, 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 without the spilling of blood, there is no remission of sins, that almost all things by the law are purged by blood. And so that foundation is there, the principles throughout the word, as I said, from the very beginning, from garden forward, it was about the blood, it was about the, re, the atonement, and then, of course, the foreshadow and the type to come, which was complete remission. Colossians 1 and 14 says this, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Paul's preaching it again and again throughout the epistles. But look what it says in 1 John chapter 5. Some of you are very familiar with this passage. 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 6, says this. This is he that came by water and blood. Again, a snapshot back to Calvary. Even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. So what is it that they're bearing witness and bearing record of? Let's look down a little bit further in there. Verse 11 says this, jump down just a little bit, it says, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So those, John is confirming there that this record that's being made through the application of this water and this blood, the record that's being bared there is your salvation, it's eternal life. It's our window, it's our doorway into eternal life, not atonement. That's gone. Jesus is there for full remission. Revelations 1 and 5 confirms it this way and says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You turn to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm establishing very lightly here what we've already known, There's what we've, we've collectively understood, and that is, is that the water washing and baptism is critical to the remission of sins. And unfortunately, there's, there's doctrines out there. There are those that have dismissed that. We've modern, modern theology has dismissed it and said, well, that's a way that you can partake of, of the fellowship, if you'd like. you like. You can be baptized, and it's sort of a symbolic gesture. 
I'm here to tell you this morning, it is not a symbolic gesture. It is a requirement. Jesus died on the cross and shed the blood from his body so that in a way, a shape, or a form that we in modern times without the killing of animals and the sacrifice of animals in this temple that we can partake of that blood. Is it metaphoric? Is it symbolic? Yes, but there's power with it and the power comes through calling on his name. And we need to get a hold of that. It's very powerful. This is not the essence of my message, though. I just want you to understand. This is just so powerful for us to understand that people are, are, are deceived at times. They're, they're given another direction. They're told that it's not necessary. It's no longer an issue. You just have to believe. But what's so sad about that is there are people that are repenting and they're sacrificing and giving to God and love him so much, but what they've done is they've stood there and left that old man, that unremitted sin, that, that, that stuff still on their bodies, not washed away. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 10 starts this way. It says, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. This is talking about the action in the tabernacle. This is what the priests were doing, carnal ordinances. They were just trying to get those sins moved forward. They're taking care of the wrong things that Israel is doing. This stuff went on every single day in Israel. Morning and night, a lamb was sacrificed. Okay, And, and so through carnal ordinances imposed on them, it's talking about the law, the old Levitical law. Until the time of reformation. Well, we know what that time was. That's when Jesus came. He, came. he said he came to fulfill the law, not to erase it. Not to end it. I'm fulfilling it. He's fulfilling it in body. Verse 11 says, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. What he's talking about is his body. That great and perfect tabernacle. He was without sin, yet human. He was the greater tabernacle, the old tabernacle, the tent in Solomon's temple where they did all those sacrifices. It's imperfect. It was man-made by the law. But this is his perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, now here it is, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serving the living God? It's extremely powerful that we understand that what he's saying there was was atonement, was a physical thing. It was about their bodies. It was about their actions and flesh. It was just pushing it forward. But when Jesus came, a more perfect tabernacle, a more perfect body, the blood of bulls and calves couldn't do this. They were just animals. They could only sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. But what he's saying is there's how much more with this perfect blood of Christ from the eternal spirit without spot. He didn't sin. He was perfect. But now you have the opportunity to purge your conscience because with atonement, it purifies the flesh. It pushes it forward. But you still have the sin. You have the sin essence. You have that sin product in your conscience. It's part of you. It's part of your soul. But through him, he could purge that from dead works to serving the living of God. When that happens, they're gone forever. It's not one year ahead. Those sins are washed away. 
And as a matter of fact, because of our partaking of that atoning blood, through the act of repentance, living a life of repentance, sacrifice, we continue to sacrifice. You've heard me say it many times here. When we come into the, to the service, we lift our hands and we worship and praise. That's our sacrifice. We continue to do that. When we repent, we live a life of repentance. Those sins continue to just go under the blood and go away forever. God doesn't have a record of those things. He doesn't have a mind of those things. Those sins that we repent for, we talk to, we make our mistakes, we trip and we fall, we're human, we fight the flesh every day, but we have that atoning blood that we acquired in that tank over there. It's powerful. Powerful to understand how much the blood really activates, really lives in our life every day. It wasn't just that one day 36 years ago. It's every single day of your life. When we take those sacraments at the time of communion, we'll have one here coming up in November. We do that in remembrance of God. We take his bread, we, we take his blood, and we drink and we eat in remembrance. He asked us to do that. There are some that actually believe that when you pray over that, it literally becomes the flesh and, and the blood of Christ. That is incorrect. That is not scriptural. But we do that in remembrance of him. But I just wonder sometimes if we really take hold of the power that's there because there's more to this than just that one event. There's more to this than just that atoning covering that we have that we can come to an altar or a place of prayer in our homes or wherever you may be and say, God, I really messed up. Please forgive me of this. Please take this sin from me. That's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to have. And I hope each and every one of us is living a constant life of that, of that process. I'm not talking about walking around life, beating yourself with reeds and wearing sackcloth and ashes. I'm just saying as part of your relationship with God, it's incredibly important. He died so you could have that. He hung on a cross like that so that at any point in time, as you're struggling through the battle of the flesh and the spirit in your day-to-day lives, that you can come to him and simply through an act of attrition and love for him and the desire to please him, you can say, God, just forgive me. Please forgive me, Lord. I don't want to do that anymore. Help me to be better at it. Help me to get over that, tr- that challenge. He wants you to do that. We should live like that. It's not living a terrible life of, oh, I'm so horrible and I'm terrible. And I, No, not at all. He wants you to come to that place, make that prayer, make that time with him, get that stuff off of you, and then get up off your feet and live a joyous, rejoicing life of power. Right? Amen. I know this is a little bit more teaching today than it is exciting and evangelical, and I hope that's okay. But I really, God really directed me on this. I haven't even gotten to the essence of the message yet. I just established the facts and what it had to do with baptism. I hope it did, and I'm kind of skimming through a little bit. This isn't a baptism message. But I want to talk to you about pleading the blood. power that we have are those waters over there that lives with us today right now. We're really, really good. I said it earlier. We're really, really good at calling on the name of Jesus. I love that. I love to be in this place and hear prayer, our 10-10-10 service today, our prayer time here, hopefully you at home and wherever you are, just calling on the name of Jesus. It's powerful. When When the devil hears that name, he runs. It's so incredible what we have through the authority of his name, but I want to tell you something. There's great power There's great power in his blood. And if we get a hold of this, 
and we really understand what the power of the atoning blood has in your life. Now, mind you, you have to have partaken of it. I mean, you, you can't just have the good stuff without going through the obedience part, right? You've got to be under the blood. You've got to have that stuff washed. You have to apply the blood in your life before you can get to the next place, those things that God allows you to do. And in some cases, you can have gone through that process, but maybe not live in life to the fullest of what God's got for you in his way. Maybe kind of just halfway in, maybe you got a foot halfway out, maybe you've got some challenges, you're not totally vested in, you're not fully put in, and, and you're kind of hanging there just a little bit. Well, guess what? It's not going to be effective. I'm just telling you, I'm laying the groundwork right now that for what God's got for you, for this, for this power, for this ability that he has in his blood, you got to be fully vested. He gave his life for it. He sacrificed and died for it. I think the very least that we can do is say, God, what can we do to make this walk as perfect as we possibly can to please you so then we have the ability to use the power of his name and the power of the blood? See, I think sometimes we want it kind of easy. We want all the stuff that he did, all that sacrifice and, and all that he did, and we still want to just kind of cruise through our walk with God, but still have all this amazing power and anointing and ability. I know there are people in this room that are desperately wanting to be used in God, used in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm here to tell you today that if you want those abilities... If you want to be able to pray for somebody and see people healed occasionally, if you want to see people filled with the Holy Ghost, if you want to speak words of faith, if you want to be used in some of those nine gifts of the Holy Ghost, then I'm telling you that it's going to take a full sacrifice on your own. You're going to have to die with him on that cross. And of course, I'm speaking metaphorically. He told us, take up your cross and follow me. See, the apostles understood what that meant. The cross was a method of death. It was an execution process. When Jesus said, take up your cross, he wasn't saying, hey, here's a little extra baggage for you. If you grab that and come with me, it'll be good. No, what he was saying was, you need to die right now. You need to die for this thing. And what I'm encouraging my church today, the essence of the message today, what I'm encouraging my church today is we got to begin to start to find that place. Are we dying totally out? Are we sold out all the way? Do we want these things and desire these abilities and desire to see the community saved around us, our lost loved ones? Are we desiring all of these things but not willing to completely sacrifice, to pick that cross up and be sacrificed on that cross alongside Jesus so that that powerful, powerful name and that atoning blood is usable, that we we can actually get a hold of it and be effective with it in our communities. Pleading the blood of Jesus is not directly a scriptural reference in the word of God. I'm just going to be honest with you about that. It's absolutely inferred throughout scripture. They use blood for everything. They put it all over everything. Put it on each other and thumbs and, and elbows and, and horns of the altars and they poured it on stuff and and they, they stuck hyssop in it and scattered it on the lintels of the doorposts when the death angel came over Egypt. They used it constantly. But they were God's people, fully vested, fully invested in what he was saying and what he did. So the concept of pleading the blood isn't necessarily in Scripture in that terminology. But when I talk about applying the blood, it's everywhere. Don't ever let anybody tell you it's not scriptural or proper to talk about pleading the blood of Jesus. Because if you've been atoned, if you've been through those waters, you've been covered in the waters of baptism, you have the right, you have the privilege that God has given you 
to begin to plead the blood of Jesus over matters in your life. And I'm telling you, it's just as powerful as the name and the authority that he's given us. We forget about these things, right? Who, who can be honest with me in the room here and in the last month pled the blood of Jesus over anything in their life? Sister Meyer, awesome. We got it. Awesome. That's fantastic. But see, there's a whole lot more people who didn't raise their hands. And that's why I wanted to tell you today, this is the next, God just put this on my heart to say there's so much more. There's so much more that we can do. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 3, says, But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Romans 5 and 9 says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Okay? So Hebrews, again, that's a little bit further. By the way, read through the book of Hebrews. It tells you the the whole history of how all of that works and, and, and the switchover from the Old Testament blood application to the New Testament blood application. It's a wonderful study. But what, what Paul's saying to the Romans there is that we're justified by his blood now. Justified, meaning we're in good shape. We're atoned. We're, we're prepared. We have the right and the privilege to use that blood. And it says that it'll save us from the wrath through Jesus. It's talking about what's coming. Plead the blood. Ephesians chapter 2 and 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of, of Christ. Man, if you're feeling distance from Jesus, if things have been real rough for you lately, your, your relationship has separated. Man, plead the blood of Jesus on your life. Call on his name. And the Bible says he's nigh with you through his blood. That means he's right there with you. You can be, you can be from earth to Pluto away from him. But because of the name and because of the blood, he's nigh to you. Revelations chapter 7 and 14 says this, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And verse, uh, Revelation 12 and 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. It's pleading the blood. It's using the blood. There's things that the blood brings power to you for, bringing you nigh. It's telling you. It's telling you, plead the blood. By the word of your testimony and the blood of the lamb, they overcame them. You understand? There's an inference there. I realize it's an inference. But how do we apply the blood? Well, we were taught from way back. I said, Frank Tamil put me in those waters as he was calling over the name of Jesus on me. See, we have access to him. We have access and connection to him through his name, calling on his name. And I'm telling you, the inference is there, but if calling on his name and invoking the blood of Jesus brings you these benefits, we gotta get good at that. Whatever the situation may be, your job, your family, lost loved ones, whatever it is, your personal health, Pleading the blood of Jesus, calling on his name. If that's what saved us the first time, Revelation and Paul to the Ephesians and to the Romans is telling us it's going to keep on saving us. It's going to bring us through tribulation. It's going to bring us through that, that challenge and that, those troubles. Hebrews chapter 9 and 22 says this. 
In almost all things, I said earlier, in almost all things are purged, are purged excuse me, by the law, purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And if you go right to Acts 2.38, and this is what you can share, then Peter said, and then repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. His blood, his blood. Thank God for the 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 blood that he applied in our lives and continues to be available to be applied in our lives even today. It didn't stop at baptism, folks. We get to God through the, through the blood, excuse me. The way that blood gets to you is when Jesus' name is called. Access to the blood is through his name. You can stand this morning. Each of us are dealing with our challenges in life. We're dealing with our struggles. I say it all the time. The reason we need that Holy Ghost, the reason we need that spirit inside this is because it wars back and forth. We struggle back and forth between the flesh and the spirit. I'm encouraging you today. Get a hold of this. Get a hold of this terminology. Understand what the blood has done for you. See, you're covered under it for now and always. Unless you turn away from it and you renounce it, you're covered under, under it always. So it's there for you to be called on. You're dealing with a struggle or a challenge. I'm going to give you a little instruction. Look at that challenge. You pray about it, pray for it, pray for health issues, call in the name of Jesus, absolutely. But I think we can take this place, take it to this place. I plead the blood of Jesus over my home. I plead the blood of Jesus today, God, over my children. I plead the blood of Jesus today over my neighbor who desperately needs you in his life. God, I plead the blood of Jesus over my job that I have to deal with and minister to every single day. I plead the blood of Jesus over my mom who's dealing in sickness. I plead the blood of Jesus over my child who's struggling in their walk with God right now. God, I plead the blood of Jesus over my church and my pastor and our leaders and our friends. God, I plead the blood of Jesus over this issue. And he will hear you in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I heard a story of a pastor who had a struggling child, was dealing with difficulties and challenges, and the pastor's wife, so frustrated, seeking God in prayer, they prayed over her in Jesus' name. God just touched this situation again and again and again. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed and tried to communicate, tried to, to get through to this challenge, this situation. Finally, the pastor's wife said, what in the world am I doing? She grabbed a hold of some oil. Now, you know when we apply the oil, the oil represents the Holy Ghost in the Bible. Remember Acts chapter 19? Paul couldn't go and minister where they wanted him to minister to, so they took pieces of his clothing and they saturated it in oil and they prayed over it. Okay? And they sent it along and used that. Many of us have used that in this room. I know I have. I know there's many of you that sent cloths, prayed over in oil. But what I'm saying to you today is this pastor's wife got so fed up of defeat, so fed up of frustration, 
She took herself a bottle of oil and she went through that child's room and she laid oil and pled the blood of Jesus over every toy, over the bedpost, over the door entering the room, over everything that she could possibly get a hold of to get a hold of God and pled the blood of Jesus and pled the blood of Jesus and pled the blood of Jesus calling on the name of God, desperate, desperate to see her child turn back to God. And I'm just encouraging you today. You have that ability. We are the people of the name Jesus. We are the people of God's promise. We are the people of power. And I'm telling you, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. And it doesn't just stop at the day of baptism. It just keeps on going. It flows through Calvary. It flows through the word of God. It's like a red line flowing all the way from Exodus, excuse me, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it flows in your life today. In Jesus' name. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for the blood that you shed on Calvary. We're thankful for the authority and the power that you give us in your name. The people of the name. God, and I just ask you today, Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our cries for you, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be more committed, more invested, more invoking of your blood, Lord God, remembering the atonement that you gave us, the covering that you gave us in your blood, and the power and the authority that we have in your name. And Jesus, I pray that you just give us inspiration. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.